Uh, good evening, everybody. For those uh, I've not had a chance to meet before, my name's Johnny. I'm a member of our congregation here at St. Joseph's and one of our uh, encounter leaders. Just let me pray for us as we begin. Father God, as we read and think about this part of the Bible, help us to understand a bit more. Help us to see Jesus in these pages. And as we do, help us to know him and love him more. Amen. It's great to be here this evening as we continue our series in the book of John. If you were here last week, uh, Ben really helpfully took us through the amazing example of John the Baptist, a man who, who lived his life by two simple rules. Rule number one, it's not about me. And rule number two, it's all about him. That him being Jesus, of course. And I'm really looking forward to taking us through this next part of uh, John's account of the first kind of week, really, of Jesus' ministry. Uh, we see that in the pattern of next days that started last week uh, in our chunk of John, continue tonight. We look at verse 35 and verse 43 there. You can see that pattern continue. Often when I'm uh, preparing a talk, I feel a lot happier about it when I've worked out my little starting kind of hook. Uh, and to be honest, I was really struggling with this. My first draft had a completely different hook. Uh, this time last week, but I wasn't that happy with it. And I was just kind of grafting away uh, at it last Sunday afternoon at the kitchen table when, it, when a voice from the other room called through, Daddy, 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 come and see, come and see. Um, and I briefly protested, you know, my five-year-old Leo, I'm just busy, darling, I'm just busy at the moment, I'm doing, doing jobs. And it, Daddy, Daddy, come and see, come and see. And I come through into the far room, uh, and there is uh, Leo, and he's in a Superman costume, He's accessorized with his sunglasses, but yet he's doing like Spider-Man poses and just showing off this like little dance he'd made up. And I thought, you know, wow, there's something coming here. You know what? He looked a bit like a cross between Superman and Spider-Man and Maverick from Top Gun. And what can I say? I love him for it. But actually I thought, come and see. I've got a hook here. Um, and it got me thinking actually, because, you know, I've been keeping a little count this week of all the times I hear come and see. And it's quite a lot in our house. And I've got to confess, eight times out of ten, it ends up with a trip to the bathroom and my son looking a little bit too proud of himself. <laughs> but that's a whole separate story. Uh, I bet actually, though, we've all had a, a come and see moment. You know, a friend maybe saying to you, come and see this new film. Uh, I've read the reviews. Got my, oh, my favourite actor, favourite director. Or, or come and see this band. They're, they're going to be the next big thing. Uh, and, and thinking back, I've had times that's worked out incredibly well, and I've had this like, amazing evening. But to be honest, I think we've all probably had them too. Absolute shockers. And you look at your friend and think, what were you doing recommending that, that to me? Well, when we look at this, this chunk of the Bible, actually, we see a couple of occasions, don't we, when someone says, come and see. And what we encounter is not a band or a film or a five-year-old with too much energy, but instead something far more incredible. And actually, this passage opens up an invitation to us too. To say, it says to us, come and see. And actually, when we do, I hope what we see here, what I feel I see here, is a picture of genuine, of sincere, of true greatness. I've loved over the last couple of weeks getting stuck in to beginning our new phase of leading Encounter. Uh, our small group for, for teens over the last couple of weeks, 
One of our aims in Counter Guys is we want you to really engage in the passage in the sermon to then go and have a really good conversation uh, about it uh, in our session downstairs. And hopefully that we really want it to sink deep uh, and travel with you into the week rather than being a kind of a, a one and done thing on a Sunday. Uh, and one of the things we've done to try and support that is made these little kind of uh, crib sheets which have the passage on for guys to kind of scribble on and annotate and not make paper airplanes with, but actually, hopefully, to help you uh, get stuck into it. So I'm actually going to give you uh, a little task on it now, both encounter guys, but everyone in the congregation too. A bit of audience participation this evening. What I'd like you to do, have a little chat to the person next to you. Could you count for me? How many different names can you find or titles can you find that are used to describe Jesus in this passage? How many different names? Let me give you 30 seconds. Have a little count, please. You're in, uh, I think it's page 886, if you're not there already. Let's see if you can get them. It's in John 1. <laughs> it doesn't count if Jesus calls himself it. Don't get caught out by the last verse. Okay, five more seconds. If you think you've got it, you can show me how many fingers you reckon. An eight? Nine. Oh, someone's right. An eight? A six? A six? We're at somewhere between six and... Anyone go past nine for me? We feel like we're somewhere in the six to nine ballpark. Okay. Uh, let's have a, a little blast through the passage. Tick them off as you go. Uh, see who got this right. Okay, so we'll start off in verse 36. Hopefully you can see it there, Lamb of God. Uh, I'm not going to spend ages on that one because Ben looked at this for us last week. For Jewish people, that would instantly make them think of the Passover festival where the death of a lamb saves the life of many. Notice with me how, how that Lamb of God is basically John's personal recommendation to his followers He's basically saying to his follow followers with that signature humility that we saw last week, this guy is the real deal, the Lamb of God, the, the, the one you need to follow. So number one, Lamb of God. Number two, verse 38, Rabbi. Uh, that means teacher. Uh, verse 41, sorry, we get another couple. We get Messiah and we get Christ. That takes us up to four. We're going to come back to that in a second. Verse 45, did you get one in verse 45? This is a bit of a sneaky one. Because I'm counting it, and you know, I'm at the front, so therefore it's, it's included. Uh, verse 45, did you get it? The one of whom Moses in the law and the prophet wrote. It's not the catchiest title, but uh, you know, it's not, not a slogan title, but it's actually a really significant one, isn't it? It's actually mega important. Uh, you know, one of the things we see at this time of year is it's new book season. Uh, in uh, Waterstones or Tesco, wherever you get your books. It's new book season. It felt like this time last year, you could tell that uh, every comedian during COVID had thought, I can't do gigs, I'm going to write a book. And everyone had an autobiography out. This year, it's a little bit slower. Um, you see, there's loads of people, aren't there, who, who write books after they've achieved greatness. Or someone writes a book about them once they've achieved greatness. What makes Jesus unique is when he is born, there is already a book. In fact, there's a library of books already about him when he is born. 
Open up the story, uh, the first half of that Old Testament at any point, the Passover like we've seen, Jonah and the whale, Daniel and the lion's den, they all point to him. We're up to five. Uh, verse 49, let's continue. The son of God and the king of Israel. Uh, these two link back to the titles we've seen before, Messiah and Christ. All of them point to the same thing, that for centuries now, the nation of Israel had been waiting for that promised person, the true lamb, the true king, the promised Messiah who was to come, the son of God. It led to this culture uh, of expectations and hopes raised and dashed in a way, a magnified scale of supporting a certain national football team potentially at the minute. Your hopes are raised and gone. If you investigate the history of the period, you'll find out actually there's, there's multiple other figures who appear on this scene uh, and have this kind of claim of being the Messiah, but actually they die and they're forgotten about. The Messiahs that they were going to be, but weren't. And actually, to, to a lesser or greater extent, I think as humans, we're, we're all in this business, this business of pinning our hopes on someone or something that is going to redeem us, it's going to save us, it's going to give our life meaning and purpose. It's going to give us a hope for the now and a hope for the future. You know, look around in, in our community, look around in our nation and in, in the world, you'll see different versions of this. It might be that family is going to be the thing that satisfies us or the success of a sports team or finally having that perfect Christmas. As humans, we're all in the business of making day-to-day -day things our kind of our functional Messiah. But when Philip and Nathaniel see Jesus walking past, they actually see that the only one who is great enough to carry that load and that expectation, the one that can guide and save and lead and fulfill us, and that is the thing that makes him worthy of worship. And it's following him that's been my goal for the last 20 odd years that I've lived as a Christian. I think seven. I'm happy to encounter guys. You can fight me downstairs if I got it wrong. But if we put it all together, what do we get? We get a picture of surpassing greatness. And it's that greatness that makes Jesus' response all the more phenomenal in verse 39. How does incredible greatness respond to two just ordinary guys who just want to get to know him? Can you see it in verse 39? We're back to it, aren't we? Jesus says, come, and you'll see. Because it's so alien to us, because in our culture, greatness just hides away. You know, think about Buckingham Palace with, with, with gates all around the outside so you can't get too close. Or, or the bodyguards pushing through a crowd so the normal riffraff won't get near to the, the great person at the center of the scene. Greatness in our culture says to you, keep out, don't, don't come near. Or, or you see it online too, greatness might give you a glimpse, might let you follow them, but, but just at a distance that suits on Instagram or Twitter or, or, or whatever it is. Greatness will let you follow if it suits them but you won't get actually close. You have to watch the video and purchase the product or give the like or whatever it is. Greatness says, follow me if it suits me. But that's not what Jesus says, is it? 
Jesus says, come, come and you'll see. Come spend time with me, eat with me, drink with me, talk with me, draw near. Come and see for yourself. It's a phenomenal invitation, an amazing invitation, and it is one that extends to us if we'll accept it. As we spend time looking at Jesus in the book of of John, Jesus invites us to come and see. And we can do that by reading, but also by singing. And as we spend time beholding him in prayer, he says to us, come and see. Not as a technique or, or to achieve a particular goal or out of a desire for an intellectual lesson, but out of genuine relationship. He says, come and see, enjoy relationship with me by my spirit. And actually notice too how how that first come and see draws in others. Because what does Andrew do? He heads to find his brother Simon. Again, in our culture, greatness doesn't know or care about your name. But how does that contrast to verse 42? Greatness knows Simon's name already. In fact, he gives him a new name, a new identity, Cephas in Greek, or in Peter in English. I wonder, actually, if you were to write a list of the most underrated Bible characters. Actually, you would have Andrew uh, pretty high on that list. Uh, And I'm pretty alive to the irony of this. As, As a brother of an Andrew who does amazing things in the background often, that Andrews can go unrecognized. But Andrew's simple ministry of personal invitation, of saying to his brother, come and see, actually is an amazing invite. You know, instead, because what happens of this, it begins a chain of events that is life-changing for Peter and it's foundational for the church. Sharing that come and see message begins a chain of dominoes It begins with Andrew's ministry of bringing. Without that, Peter's ministry of preaching could never have happened. The other thing I love about Andrew's invitation here is the simplicity of it. It's not a shiny product, is it? It's not all glitz and glamour. It is a simple invitation. Just come and see for yourself. You know, as a church and as individuals, are, are we bothered more that people love us or that they recognize Jesus for who he is? That incredible example of greatness and compassion. Maybe you look at the Peters of your friendship circle or of the life of the church and think, that just isn't me. I really hope this part of the, the Bible uh, reminds you of your incredible value for the church. Because come and see is something that we can all say. It's a ministry we can all be part of. The way the church spread back then, the way the church spreads now, isn't just through the works of Peter's preaching, but instead it's the work of Andrew's of all shapes and sizes. It's core to the mission of the church. If we're ready to be part of that ministry, that that come and see ministry for ourselves, there's a place for us. Time is pushing on, but I was keen briefly to touch on the next come and see that we see in verse 46 as that chain of personal invitation continues, as Philip invites his friend Nathaniel to check out this guy Jesus for himself. In verse 47, Jesus greets Nathaniel with what appears to be a compliment. And in verse 48, Nathaniel accepts it 
But, it, but he wonders, how, how can it be that, that Jesus knows him in any way? And Jesus gives what on the surface seems like you know, one of the most cryptic answers in the Bible that he's seen him before under the fig tree. But something about this strikes a real chord with Nathaniel, doesn't it? It leads to that most 180 degree turnaround from earlier on saying, well, nothing good can come out of Nazareth. They're describing Jesus as the king of Israel and the son of God. This most incredible declaration of faith. It kind of makes you wonder what went on under the fig tree, doesn't it? I think, you know, our suspicious minds automatically think something bad must have happened. But if that was the case, then why would Jesus describe him as an upstanding Israelite? You know, it doesn't make sense to think that Nathaniel was caught up in some secret sin. But we're never going to know for definite what happened there. It's on the list of questions I want to ask, you know, biblical heroes in heaven. Uh, one explanation I read this week suggested that could it have been, maybe, that Nathaniel was under that tree praying for the redemption of his nation, that God would send that chosen one, send his anointed, send that Messiah, send the one who was going to save. And that when Jesus asks him that question, it reveals to him that who has walked into his life but that very man, the man who knows the prayers of Nathaniel's heart, and that he himself is the answer to him. In the exchange that follows, Jesus makes this astounding claim that links back to an Old Testament picture that you you may or may not be uh, familiar with. Uh, Let me just take us on a really quick detour back to Genesis 28, where Jacob, the man also known as Israel, had this dream of a ladder between earth and heaven uh, and angels of God going up and down on it as a sign of, of God's royal presence. And at the top of the ladder, God speaks Uh, And Jacob awakes and says, how amazing, how awesome is this place? This is the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. In this last verse that we look at tonight, Jesus claims this verse and says, this is about me. I am the gate. I am the ladder. Jesus is making an incredible claim. We've seen all through John chapter 1. Incredible claims, haven't we? We saw he is the word made flesh. Last week, he is the son of God. This week, he is a bridge between heaven and earth. I wonder in verse 50, therefore, when Jesus says to Nathaniel, come and see, but you're you're going to see things far more great than this. He has in mind the Messiah he's going to be. We just don't know what Nathaniel was expecting. We know that many at the, the time of Nathaniel thought that the the Messiah was going to be some warrior figure who would confront their Roman oppressors. But Jesus knows he's going to achieve far more than that. Far more than that. He's going to change the entire human condition. He's going to defeat evil and death. He's going to renew the world through him, ultimately by his life and death. And by his resurrection, he is going to take us into that throne room, into the presence of God. I must conclude this evening. I hope we've seen Jesus a bit more for who he is. The bridge between heaven and earth. The one around whom heaven and earth pivots. The one who is amazingly great, but also the one who says to us, draw near, come and see. The one who invites us into his presence. How, How incredible is that? 
In this passage, likewise, we see four, five, one we don't even know his name, characters who are open to listen and open to follow. And, and it's my prayer for us, church, this evening that we'd share that openness. And that as that touches our lives, we, we'd want to reach out to others, to, to tar- carry on and take out to our community that chain of come and seize that begins here. Allow me to, to pray for us as I close. Father God, I thank you for your word that we've had a chance to look at more tonight. I thank you for your son Jesus, the one who was truly great, but who says to humans like us, come and see. The one who by grace draws close to us and brings us close to you. Help us to respond in love and faith this week. Amen.